Well, the Biden $1.9 trillion a COVID relief bill, stimulus bill, boondoggle, whatever you want to call it, it's $1.9 trillion of government spending that we can't afford and don't need. And first of all, it's going to end up costing more than $2 trillion. I mean, this $1.9 trillion price tag, that's just an estimate. I mean, the government never comes in under budget on anything. So I'm sure at the end of the day, a lot of these programs that are budgeted for $1.9 trillion are going to end up costing more than that. But the last thing the U.S. economy needs right now is more stimulus in the form of government spending. Because what is the government doing? Where is the government getting all the money that they're spending? I mean, they're not raising taxes to collect the money. They're just borrowing it. But who's dumb enough to loan the U.S. government $1.9 trillion at an interest rate the government can afford to pay? Nobody. So the Federal Reserve is going to end up buying all this government bonds. That's another $2 trillion of money printing. And we already have record amounts of money printing since the pandemic began. We are awash in money. That is why prices are going up all over this economy. And the price hikes have just begun. Now, a lot of people are trying to blame the price hikes on supply shortages. Of course, there's a shortage of everything when you have a surplus of money. Remember, during the pandemic, a lot of Americans who used to work stopped working. And so they no longer produced anything, but they kept on spending anyway, thanks to the government, even though a lot of people lost their paychecks. They didn't cut back on their spending because they actually got paid more money when they weren't working than they used to earn when they were. And so if you're not putting anything into the pie, but you're taking a lot out, all you're doing is putting upward pressure on prices. So all this is, is throwing gasoline on an inflationary fire. We don't want more paper money. We need people working. We need people producing, but we don't need more spending. That's the last thing this economy needs. And in fact, as people return to their normal lives or they get the vaccine and they come back, we already have the highest savings rate we've had in a long time, mainly because a lot of people saved their stimulus checks. They got all this money from the government, but they weren't going out of the house. And so they have it in the bank account. Well, they're going to spend that money as soon as they can. They're not going to hoard it. And they're going to be bidding up prices because everything is in short supply. Our trade deficit is at an all-time record high now, even before this last round of stimulus. The uh, container ships are queued up, a record number of them, off the coast of California because Americans are buying so much stuff that was produced abroad. Why? Because we're not producing the stuff ourselves. Our goods deficit, our deficit in manufactured goods hit an all-time record high last month. And we're about to shatter that record uh, this month and in the following month, especially with this new spending bill. Because all this money, people are going to get all these government stimulus checks. They want to buy stuff. Well, we don't make stuff. So what are we going to do? We're going to send all this money abroad, and now they're going to send us back stuff. 
But this is going to put even more downward pressure on the dollar as we flood the world with U.S. dollars that nobody wants. They don't need them to buy anything. I mean, we can't even buy our own stuff. If Americans can't find stuff to buy with their dollars, how are the Asians or the Europeans? Now, in the past, they would have recycled those trade deficits uh, by buying U.S. treasuries. But who the hell wants to buy U.S. treasuries? The yields are too low. The yields are lower than the official rate of inflation. And they're much lower than the unofficial rate of inflation, which is far more accurate. So nobody wants to lose money, loaning money to the U.S. government, which means all these trade deficits, the dollars are going to be sold. And what, who's going to buy those dollars? I mean, they're going to push down the value of the dollar, which is going to make all these products we're importing that much more expensive to buy because we're going to need more and more rapidly depreciating dollars to pay for them. So this is, again, the worst possible government remedy to the problem. As I said at the very beginning of the pandemic, with a lot fewer people working and being productive, the proper fiscal response was to cut government spending. The proper monetary response was to shrink the money supply, do the opposite of what they did. A lot of people don't understand that the original Federal Reserve Act, the reason we had a Federal Reserve was to create an elastic money supply. That was one of the main reasons for adopting the Federal Reserve Act. And what an elastic money supply was, was a money supply that expanded when the economy expanded and contracted when the economy contracted. And the goal of that was to have stable prices. So if we're producing more goods, instead of allowing prices to fall, we would print more money and then prices would stay stable. And when the economy was contracting, um, then the government would, would contract the money supply and, and again, have a, a stable price structure throughout the business cycle. Well, what do we do now? When the economy expands, we print money. And when it contracts, we print even more money. There's nothing elastic about that at all. That's a money supply that grows and grows and grows. I mean, if they had proposed such an asinine policy back in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act never would have been adopted because the people back then weren't dumb enough to believe that such a system could work. They still believed in sound money. And remember, the original Federal Reserve notes were backed by gold. I mean, the gold was the real money. That was the legal tender. That was the lawful money. The Federal Reserve notes were just IOUs from the Federal Reserve to pay real money, which was gold. And, and so they couldn't just grow the money supply in perpetuity. They had to have the money supply remain stable over time, but expand and contract with the ebbs and flows of the economy. But that's not what we're doing. And so when the government responded to a reduction in output by increasing the amount of money being printed, that's an inflationary cocktail because you have more and more money chasing a, a smaller supply of goods, and now they're going to make it even worse. Now, again, they're trying to pretend that the rising prices are the result of shortages of, of, of products, of supply. Look, whenever you print a bunch of money, it always looks like there's a shortage of goods, but it's really a surplus of money because the new money is coming into circulation not as a result of of increased productivity. It's just being printed. So you have a bunch of people who didn't produce anything who want to buy stuff. Well, that just means the price of all the stuff they didn't produce is going to go up. And that's why I've been referring all along to the inflation that the government is creating as a tax, right? It is the inflation tax. 
the government really has two ways of getting money. They can tax it or they can print it. Now, sometimes they borrow it, but borrowing is really another way of taxing. It's just that you're postponing the taxes. Government borrows money and now is obligated to repay those loans. But how does the government repay those loans? From future tax revenue. So all borrowing is, is deferred taxes. But a way that the government can avoid taxing at all is if the Federal Reserve just prints the money. And the way it works in our current system is the U.S. government, the Treasury, doesn't print money directly. The Treasury borrows money. But if the Fed buys those bonds, the Fed prints the money or creates the money and credits the government's account. And now the government spends the money the Federal Reserve created. And that is inflation because now all of the dollars that everybody holds have now lost some purchasing power to make room for these new dollars that have been spent into circulation. So when the government taxes you legitimately, income tax, uh, social security tax, right? The government takes your money, right? Right out of your paycheck. And so you see that loss of purchasing power because you have fewer dollars. Let's say you have a paycheck and you earn $10,000, you know, on that paycheck and the government takes 4,000. Well, I see the government took 4,000 of my, you know, 40% of my purchasing power for income taxes, FICA taxes, whatever. I only got 60% left. Well, what if the government, instead of doing that, they just print a bunch of money. They don't take 40% of your purchasing power. They let you keep the 10,000 that you earn, but instead of taxing you, they print up a bunch of money and they give it to some other people to spend it. And when they do that, prices go up uh, by 40% or whatever it is so that you have the same amount of money, but you can afford 40% less stuff because everything is now more expensive because the government took your purchasing power and they gave it to somebody else. So when they have legitimate taxes, they take your money and when they give it to somebody else, but when they use inflation to finance government spending, they leave you with your money. They just relieve your money of your purchasing power and they take that purchasing power and they give it to whoever is on the receiving end of the expenditures. And that's what's going to be happening with this $1.9 trillion stimulus, right? A lot of people are going to get checks in the mail from the government and now they're going to spend that money and that is going to bid up prices. We're not getting this $1.9 trillion stimulus bill for nothing. You can't get government for free. All government spending must be paid for. And there's only one source of the, the payment, and that's the American public. So either they pay for it directly through legitimate taxation or indirectly through inflation when the value of their savings and their paychecks is diminished to accommodate the new money that is spent into circulation. And this $1.9 trillion spending bill, this isn't the end of it. This is the beginning. This is the opening bid. This is the first uh, uh, Biden package. It's not going to be the last. The guy's going to be president for four years. I mean, if he lives that long, but if he dies, it'll be worse with Kamala Harris. So we've got a lot of spending bills, none of which are going to be paid for legitimately. You know, I think Biden's already going to start talking about a new stimulus before the ink is even dry on this stimulus. Meanwhile, the government is already spending about $8 trillion per year. Uh, now, go to uh, the national debt clock. 
Org, and you can see all these numbers, but the government is spending $8 trillion. That is amazing. That's before this stimulus. That means with this stimulus, that's $10 trillion spent in one year. The U.S. government isn't even collecting $3.5 trillion a year in taxes. I mean, amazing. Imagine that. Far more of the government spending is paid for by a printing press then through legitimate taxation. So it's already bad, and the government is going to make it worse uh, with additional spending programs. Now, they're probably going to throw some tax hikes at some point uh, targeted to the rich and corporations, but to the extent that they manage to raise taxes, they may not raise tax revenue. Tax revenue could actually go down based on the negative uh, unintended consequences of the higher tax rates that have the effect of uh, diminishing economic activity and the moral hazard of causing businesses to try to rearrange their affairs in a more tax-efficient manner, which could also mean a less economically productive matter. But even if the government manages to get additional tax revenue from higher tax rates, that revenue is going to pale in comparison to the additional spending. So the taxes aren't going to pay for the spending. The spending is going to be paid for through inflation, which is why everybody needs to do what they can to avoid this inflation tax and to you know, arrange their finances in such a way as to minimize these taxes. I mean, first of all, if you haven't already done it, you should download my special report, Taxed by Inflation. You can get a free copy of that report on the Europe-Pacific website, europac.com, E-U-R-O-P-A-C.com is the website. It's about a 20-page report. It's really a must-read. And so it really explains the dynamics of this inflation tax and why it's so important that you avoid it. And of course, it is avoidable because what's being taxed are U.S. dollars. So you want to divest yourself of the subject of the tax, U.S. dollars. Now, it's hard to do that for your wages or your income, but your savings and your investment portfolio, it is very easy to do. That's what we're doing and have been doing at my company, Europe Pacific Capital, is uh, moving people from U.S. dollar investments to non-dollar investments, getting into stocks and bonds and other investments that are exempt from the U.S. inflation tax. And so what happens is as the U.S. dollar is diminished in value due to this tax, the value of our foreign portfolios rises. So does the income that these assets generate. So now your purchasing power is maintained because you can afford the higher cost of living that most Americans are now going to be forced to endure because they don't have foreign assets. They have dollars and they're going to need more and more dollars to buy the same quantity of goods and services. Now, of course, the government tries to pretend that what's happening right now with prices is temporary, right? The Fed says, oh, it's a a one-off thing. We're going to ignore these price increases. I mean, what else are they going to say? They can't be honest and tell the truth that there's lots of inflation and we can't do anything about it because that will accelerate the crisis. But that's exactly where we're headed because the only way the Federal Reserve can try to put this inflation genie back in the bottle that it's already let loose is to raise interest rates significantly higher than the rate of inflation in order to bend that curve back down. And they need to shrink the money supply. But they can't do that. The last time we actually had a Fed that fought inflation was in 1980 with Paul Volcker. 
And at that time, in order to uh, put that inflation genie back in the bottle, uh, interest rates had to go up to 20%. Now, you know, back in 1980, the national debt was only 35% of GDP. Now it's 135% of GDP. We can't afford to pay 20% interest on the enormity of our debt like we could then. In fact, most of the debt back then was financed with 30-year treasury bonds. And so even though rates went up in the short run, it didn't affect most of the national debt because the government had prudently locked in its debt. And, and so you know it just continued to pay the low rates on those long-term bonds. But today, the government relies on short-term financing. You know, a third of the, you know, 30, $28 trillion national debt is going to mature in the next year. And if interest rates spiked up, all that debt would roll over at the new higher level. The government can't afford it. Not even close. We have a massive credit bubble. Not just the U.S. government can't afford higher rates. Corporations can't. American homeowners can't with adjustable rate mortgages or credit card debt or all this. The whole economy is levered up on debt precisely because the Fed kept interest rates so low. But if they try to raise interest rates to fight inflation, the whole house of cards collapses. It'll be a far worse financial crisis than the one we had in 2008. And so for that reason, the Federal Reserve is all bark and no bite when it comes to inflation fighting. They're not going to fight inflation. They're going to fuel the fire. In fact, what the Fed is going to do is as long-term interest rates are rising, in order to prevent them from rising too much, the Fed is going to have to increase the size of its QE program. It's going to have to go into the market and buy more treasuries to stop yields from rising to levels that are unaffordable by the American economy or the American government. And the reason rates are rising now is because of inflation and inflation fears being built into bond prices. But if the Fed has to print more money to slow the increase in interest rates, that's even more inflation. So in other words, interest rates are rising because of inflation picking up. But to prevent rates from rising, the government has to create even more inflation, which now puts even more downward pressure on bonds and upward pressure on rates, which means the government has to create even more inflation to to stop those increases. So we get into an inflationary spiral running out of control. That's why we have the risk in this country of hyperinflation, because ultimately, if the Fed continues to to push this because it is afraid to allow or to face the consequences of all its prior mistakes and face the music and allow a massive financial crisis with no bailouts, where you have a stock market crash, a real estate market crash, and all sorts of defaults on debt, including the U.S. government defaulting on its treasury obligations, as well as on commitments it's made to retirees to get Social Security benefits or government pensions. All these fake promises need to be defaulted on if we're going to stop hyperinflation. But if politicians don't have the guts to tell the truth, even when their backs are to the wall, then they're going to print until the dollar crashes. And then we have runaway inflation, maybe Weimar Republic style, uh, Argentina style type inflation. And that wipes out the whole economy. And so you really have to be prepared for that. You really have to have your financial ducks in a row. And if this dynamic starts, it's going to get started very, very quickly. And so you're not going to be able to react to it in real time. 
It's like if your house is on fire or you're and everybody or a building and everybody's trying to rush to get out, not everyone's going to make it. People are going to start tripping over one another. People are going to get stuck in there. If you know that the, the building is going to start to burn, you'd want to get out of there before the rest of the crowd figured it out, right? Uh, and so that's the situation now. You still have a lot of people who don't get the fact uh, that the dollar's about to crash. And so they're not rushing to get out. When they do rush to get out, I mean, who are you going to sell to? I mean, every everybody's trying to get out. So right now you've got a window of opportunity uh, to front run the crowd. Also, too, it's funny when I when I keep hearing all of these stories about how, you know, we, there's a shortage of goods. We don't have enough chips or we don't have enough, uh, you know, copper. Or we don't have enough, you know, whatever it is where the prices are really rising. Yes, we did have a reduction in supply during the pandemic because fewer people were working, right? And so that is an, a factor that would push up prices. But then when you fuel the flyer by printing more money on top of that, and now you have more money chasing fewer goods, that is the classic recipe for an inflationary spiral. You know, when inflation really got out of control in the 1970s, Richard Nixon imposed raise in price controls when the CPI was at 4%. We're going to be at 4% probably before the end of this year. And you know, the CPI that we had in the 1970s, that's not the same CPI we had right now. If we were still measuring prices today, the way we measured them in the 1970s, we'd probably be closer to 10% annual inflation right now. And it was so bad that we had wager price controls, which of course was a mistake because prices weren't going up because of labor unions or uh, 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 supply shortages or OPEC or speculators. Prices were going up because the Federal Reserve was printing too much money. So trying to go after the, the symptom rather than the disease, uh, you know, you weren't going to get a cure. So this was a misguided policy on the part of the Nixon White House to try to control inflation by uh, putting controls on prices and letting the Federal Reserve continue to print money. Right, that didn't do anything. That just created shortages in black markets, and they eventually took the controls off, and, and prices had to catch up uh, to where they should have been because they didn't do anything about the underlying inflation until Paul Volcker finally did something about it. So, I mean, we're going to be at those levels that prompted such outrage uh, that we we had wager price controls. Of course, our government's going to do nothing about that type of inflation, and so it's going to spiral out of control. And, you know, another example of this whole idea that, you know, there's shortages of stuff, it's because the politicians never want to accept responsibility. They don't want to say prices are going up because we're printing too much money. So they're going to say, well, prices are going up because there's shortages or maybe there's hoarding going on or there's speculators or maybe they're going to want to blame the Chinese, right? They always want to point fingers. That's why they tried to redefine inflation as rising prices. When inflation is an expansion of the money supply, that is literally where the word inflation comes from, right? Because think about it. Do prices inflate? No. I mean, what does inflation mean? It means to expand. Prices don't expand. They go up, they go down, but you can't expand a price. What expands? The money supply. That's what expands. That's inflation. What's deflation? A contraction of the money supply. Now, when you expand the money supply, all else being equal, prices go up. Right now, you can expand the money supply and prices may not go up, 
But that just means if you didn't expand the money supply, prices would have gone down, right? And if they didn't go down because of inflation, well, that's still a tax because you're paying higher prices than what you would have paid absent inflation. The whole idea that we need rising prices is a fiction concocted by government to justify printing money. They try to tell us that falling prices is bad. No, it's not. Everybody wants their cost of living to go down. Nobody is excited when prices go up. You know, if you if you own a store, you want to sell more stuff, you have a sale. A sale means you lower your prices. Why do you lower your prices? Because more people want to buy. Well, it's good when an economy lowers prices. A free market economy with people working and producing leads to lower prices. And that helps everybody. Even businesses benefit from lower prices because they sell more stuff, right? And they, 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 they get the, uh, the volume, right? You always want to be able to lower your prices because not only are your prices going down, but your costs are going down. What's important to a businessman is not the price that you charge your customer, but the difference between the cost of goods sold and the price that you get. And if all prices are going down, including your costs, and then you can sell more because people can afford to buy more, you make more money. So it's nonsense to say that the government needs to create inflation because falling prices would destroy the economy. They don't. They benefit the economy. It's just that the government needs inflation to finance its spending and to maintain all these bubbles. And so they've tried to convince the public that it's in their interest when it's not, it's in the government interest. And that's why they, you know, they redefined inflation to mean rising prices to confuse the public as to the source of inflation, which is always the central bank, because the central bank is the entity that can expand the money supply because it's got the printing press. It's got the monopoly on that. But it reminds me of a old piece of Soviet Union propaganda, because, of course, the Soviet Union, uh, they printed a lot of money. And, and, and so they always had to explain to the Soviet citizens, you know, life in the Soviet Union because they had sold them a bunch of promises on how great everything was going to be under communism. And of course, it, it was awful, right? That's why they had to build walls and shoot people who tried to escape. But, you know, a lot of the Soviets, they would see photographs uh, of America. You know, they, 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 they'd get them in there and they'd see American stores. And these stores you'd see the shelves and there's all sorts of merchandise on the shelves, right? All kinds of products, you know, go to a supermarket and look at all the products for sale on American shelves, all the brands, all the variety, all the choices, right? So America has these markets with shelves loaded with consumer goods. Yet in, in Russia, Soviet Union, the shelves were empty. There was nothing there. I mean, if there was ever anything there to buy, people would line up for hours just to get it, right? So uh, the government had to explain this, like, hey, you know, because the government is you know, lying to the public, telling them how great things are in the Soviet Union and how lousy things are in America, yet they can see pictures of these stores full of products in America and empty shelves in the Soviet Union, and they're like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't jive with what we're being told. And this is the lie that the government told the Soviet people. The uh, government told uh, the Soviets the reason that American shelves are loaded up with merchandise is because Americans are too poor to afford it. So all the stuff just piles up on the shelves because Americans don't have any money and they can't afford to buy it. On the other hand, the reason there's nothing on Soviet shelves is because Soviets have lots of money. And so whenever there are products available to sell, they rush to the store and buy them. And so the empty shelves 
are just a sign of our prosperity because our people have enough money to buy the products right away. Whereas in America, you know, this, this stuff just sits on the shelves rotting because the people don't have any money, right? This is a bunch of nonsense, right? But this is how the government spun it. And, and then what they said is, look, so they said America's problem is a shortage of money. And the Russian problem, Soviet problem, is a shortage of goods. And so Americans will never have enough money to buy the goods. But in Russia, hey, we all have the money, so it's simple. All we have to do is have the goods, and then, you know, you can just spend your money. But, of course, they have it backwards. Anybody can print money. There's nothing special about printing money. But not anybody can produce goods. What does it take to produce goods? A, a dynamic free market economy. A government command economy produces nothing. So America had lots of goods because we had free market capitalism and we had all this productivity. The Soviet Union had nothing to buy because they had no businesses producing anything. You had a bunch of government bureaucrats trying to centrally plan the economy and it can't be done. And so as a result, all they could do is print money. They couldn't produce any products. But that is, a, in, in a way, what the U.S. government is going to be trying to get Americans to accept is that, well, you know, we have a shortage of stuff. Uh, we have all this money now. We just need the stuff. The money is the easy part. The stuff is the hard part. And the problem is, with all this government spending, we're actually further incentivizing Americans not to produce stuff. We're paying people more money not to go back to work than they would have earned if they returned to the job. So none of these people are producing stuff. So we're printing all this money. Of course, we're going to have a shortage of stuff to buy because we're not making the stuff that we want to buy. So all the stuff that we want to buy has to be sent to us from China or other countries. And it's not going to come. The cost of shipping stuff to the United States has already skyrocketed. It costs more than 10 times as much money to ship stuff to the United States as it costs to ship stuff out of the United States. Why? Because nothing is going in that direction. The ships are going empty. It's expensive to, to buy the, the cargo to America because that's what everybody's doing. But Americans are paying with money that's about to collapse in value. That's what's going to put an end to this spending spree, an end to these stimulus programs is going to be a U.S. dollar crisis. That is what's coming. That's what we've been talking about on this podcast. That's what I'm trying to prepare people for is a real crisis that is going to make the financial crisis look like a Sunday school picnic. And the big difference is no government bailouts. You have to bail yourself out now because the government won't be able to bail anybody out because you can't bail people out with a currency that's collapsing. When the dollar and U.S. treasuries are the epicenter of the crisis, there's nothing the government can do about it. When it's mortgages that are collapsing or banks and the government can print money to bail everybody out, as long as that money has value and people want it, then they can bail out uh, the, the economy or bail out other debtors. But when it's the U.S. government that is the epicenter of the debt crisis, when it's collapsing dollars and collapsing treasuries, remember, treasuries are just IOU dollars. That's all they are. They're just promises to be paid dollars in the future, which are obviously worth less than having dollars in the present if inflation is destroying their value. So when it's the government that is the epicenter of the crisis, nobody could be bailed out because all the government has are dollars. And if the dollar is collapsing, then the government can't bail itself out. And so you have to bail yourself out in advance 
by incorporating these investment strategies. So again, if you already have an account with me at Europe Pacific Capital, Europe Pacific Asset Management, great, maybe add to it. This is the time I think to go all in on international uh, and get out of overpriced U.S. stocks and bonds and an overvalued U.S. dollar. If you don't already have an account, what are you waiting for? Set one up, right? Talk to the representatives of Europe Pacific Capital. If you're outside the United States, you want to contact me through Europe Pacific Asset Management. So the domestic site is europac.com, E-U-R-O-P-A-C.com. And for international, it's epacfunds.com, E-P-A-C funds, F-U-N-D-S.com. And of course, you got to load up on physical gold and silver. If you don't have at least 5 to 10% of your portfolio in physical gold and silver, what are you waiting for? The prices have yet to explode. They're going to contact Shift Gold. That's my uh, precious metals company, shiftgold.com. That's the best place to buy gold and silver. You're not going to buy collectibles or numismatics. You're going to get a great deal on bullion, and you're going to buy it as close to the spot price as you possibly can. So that's it for this episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Continue to stay tuned uh, for coverage of this evolving crisis. Very few people really appreciate that the crisis hasn't even started. Most people think we're coming out of the crisis. They think the crisis was COVID-19. The real crisis wasn't the disease, but the government's cure. And we're about to suffer the ill effects of that ill-advised cure in the months and years ahead. So buckle up. We got a bumpy ride and most people have no idea what's in store for them. (music) 